You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. And so with that, I, I want to invite you into a custom uh, of ours as a church, that is that we open the Bible together and we actually believe, as we kind of quote some of the, our, our heroes uh, in the past, that, that when we open the Bible, the Bible actually begins to, by a spiritual miracle, begin to open us. And so I want to invite you toward the end of the Bible to a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the first apostles of the church, wrote as an encouragement to his son in the faith, Timothy. And so you'll find the first letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy, will be in the third chapter. And so if you don't have a smartphone, you'll see a paperback Bible in the chair in front of you. And, uh, and, and as you're making your way there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Again, don't be afraid of the table of contents. In fact, if this is one of the first times you've opened a Bible, then do me a favor, take that Bible as a gift from us to you. And as we look at this, I want to, to give you kind of a disclaimer and an update for uh, where we are as a church. So if you're, if you're new with us this morning, if this is one of the first times you come to spend uh, a morning with us, then I'll, I'll give you a bit of a disclaimer. As we normally open the Bible and walk through books uh, together, uh, often we kind of set aside times for a specific topic or a specific season that we, uh, that we open uh, a different part of the Bible. And in this case, we're diving into the middle of a book that we haven't been reading for a while. But, uh, but in this case, the reason is that we're in, in this morning, this will be like a family meeting. So if you're new to Connection Church, part of this is I'm, a, I'm apologizing. It's going to feel like you, you are in a family meeting that's not your family. Now, the good news in that is that at one point in time, all of us, we believe we're apart from God's family and even the family that is Connection Church. And so while I, I'm going to, it's going to be like a family meeting or a family reunion for you as an outsider, don't lose heart. The good news is this family offers an invitation for you to join. That is that all of us who were far from God were adopted into his family by Christ. And so as I'm, I'm inviting you to kind of peer into, if, if Connection Church isn't your church, or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a believer, I'm inviting you in to kind of see what we believe is a tangible evidence of the good news of Jesus. And for us, that means that every single organization that's healthy in the world is well-led. Everyone. And so our aspiration from the beginning, and you'll see the reason why is 1 Timothy 3, is that we would see God begin to raise up and deploy missionaries, that he would deploy us to serve in some specific role in the life of our church. And, and that's true for every single one of us. The ways that each of us are gifted and equipped to serve and to make much of Jesus is unique. And, and in this case, we see one of the ways that, the, that God shows his grace to the church is he gives the church pastors and so for you, if you're an outsider, maybe an insider in this case, you might have wondered, okay, that makes sense. I, you might have heard of a church, and, and you know churches have pastors or priests or however you might understand that. But, but maybe you've never stopped and asked yourself, where do pastors come from? Right? Do they come from a seminary or a special school? And it's like, no, not really. We actually believe, like other gifts in the church, they're given freely by God as a measure of his grace. And that includes people to lead, and lead in a way that is very different than any other organization is led. And so we get a picture of the character of these kinds of leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So as we look at this wisdom that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, I want us to read the entirety of the chapter to see some features of what it is that God is. What it is that God invites us to aspire to as a church, and then we'll see the reason that that's the case, how it is that that comes about. So I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter together, 
And then hopefully I'll explain, not as much as normal, but we get to this morning celebrate the installation of elders in our church. So a few years ago, our church uh, it committed, or it was over a year ago now, um, since we've begun, we've, we've been praying for exactly what I just shared with you, that all of us would feel uh, a sense of calling and equipping to what he's crafting us to be. But a little over a year ago, our covenant membership committed 40 days to pray over a list of all of the men who are covenant members in our church and to pray over the list of qualifications I'm about to read to you in just a moment. And to begin to discern whether or not the Holy Spirit was calling out from among us men to serve in this role. Men that we, we recognize that have begun to look like this. The way we said it is like begun to smell like this. Uh, and then pray that God would do this. And so for the last, over the last year, we've invited a handful of men that we introduced to you um, sometime this last year uh, to discern this call privately in a, in a, in a discovery cohort. And then over the last several months to discern this calling publicly as we've asked them to undergo a, a series of, of months of public examination with our membership. And so this process culminates today where we get to install three men that our church has voted on a few weeks ago uh, to be installed to live out publicly what we're about to read. And so again, this is kind of like if you're, if you're new, you're, you're listening to a family meeting. But again, remember, the, the, the good news here is that, that God adopts us into his family from all of God's family is made up of people who used to not be a part of his family. And so peer into this as we, as we read about this mystery together, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. We pray that this becomes more than ink on a page this morning, but the very words of God to the people of God. 
I want to explain a lot less than I normally do. And I hope that this morning as a means of celebration, hopefully this will be more interactive. I'll be inviting you to participate in some of the things that we will be doing later this morning. So I'll explain less, but I'll hopefully give you some application and what I think might be a lighthearted illustration about what it is to be a shepherd in. And the word you saw over and over and over again in this chapter was the household of God. Speaking of the church, the local and global church as the family or the household of the living God. And so he begins by sharing with us a couple of things that I'll explain and then move on to simply trying my best to apply and and invite us to, I hope, see a, a mystery here. And hopefully you'll be able to laugh along the way. So this opening formula is not unfamiliar. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Now, he says this up to this point in other places that are theological. Here's a trustworthy saying that that Christ died to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost, he tells this, uh, the Apostle Paul tells, tells Timothy. But in this case, it's very practical. Here's a trustworthy saying, and he gives this kind of two part saying here if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires. A noble task. And so we want to commend to you, our, our covenant membership has voted to commend to you over the last few weeks, these men as men who have aspired to the office and desired the noble task. Now we just celebrated nine years as a church and, and you might even wonder uh, in this sense like how this has come about. Uh, how we've hopefully been giving people the opportunity to lead and serve, praying that God would do this. And, and I'll give you some axioms as we think through some, maybe the application for this. Is that is, as we read this list of qualifications of elders, pastors, deacons, that word overseer is interchangeable with the word pastor or elder. It's, well, it's how we think about those who shepherd and guide the church. After all, the word pastor simply literally means shepherd. And then it says deacons or servants. And then it gives kind of a a similar list of qualifications. And then it gives a list of qualifications for the wives, if they have wives, of, of, of these deacons or elders. And they're meant to all be seen kind of interchangeably with a few distinct markers. That is the main thing that stands out from the elder overseer pastor and the deacon servant is that, that this, uh, this, this list of elder overseer at the very beginning of the chapter has two qualifications that are different. One is the ability to teach. That is that their goal and role is, in shepherding is to shepherd what the church believes. And secondly, that they're not a recent convert, such that they wouldn't take a position of, of, of prominence very quickly and then fizzle out as we see become kind of a, uh, caught in a snare of the devil. And so here's a, 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 an axiom that I have seen to be true for us in this process, because we don't believe that the church makes the offices of the church. Uh, that we can't make elders, we can't make deacons, and we can't make members. Instead, instead of making these things, the church recognizes them. You can't make a person holy and good. Christ alone could do that. You can't make someone, I promise, if I could, I would. Like, I would, I would do it right now. I would make you all better. I would use a magic formula, boom, you're all better, good luck, right? We can't do that. And so the church doesn't make elders, the church recognizes them. Now we can cultivate an opportunities, or we can cultivate opportunities for this to hopefully thrive. And Lord willing, today we're celebrating that you and I have done that. But an axiom in business that applies really well here, and it's actually biblical, is this. You may have heard this in business or in anything for that matter. Good, fast, cheap, pick two. 
That is, if you were to think of this as a Venn diagram with that which is good, that which is fast, and that which is cheap, the, the middle space where something is good, fast, and cheap is void. It does not exist. There is nothing that is good, fast, and cheap. It doesn't exist. And you can think of them kind of working in pairs, right? If it's good and if it's fast, whoo, it's expensive. It is not cheap, right? If it's good uh, and, and, and cheap, then and that's, it, it, it ain't fast, right? And if it's cheap and fast, whew, it ain't good, right? And well, I think I could walk you through the, the Proverbs and show how these axioms are true, that is that which is cheap, right? Is is has has a sense in a spiritual a spiritual lesson for us. Uh, Jesus tells people in Luke chapter fourteen that if a person sets out without counting the cost of something, they're foolish. They don't understand God's kingdom. And so, in church planting, when you start a church from scratch, I'll, I'll give you some insight. Um, cheap is underlined. When you start in in a church from scratch. Uh, there's no people, so therefore there's no funding, no money. And so, so cheap has to happen, right? You don't have any choice. Cheap is just what you get. And so in the life of Connection Church, since cheap is non-negotiable and good is the aspiration, then slow is the way. And so I'm grateful for all of your patience in this process. And I hope you realize that's not just some silly axiom in business. In fact, the method by which pastors are installed in a local church is, is given much freedom. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us how. It only gives us one axiom, and it's later in this book. And what does it say? What does Paul tell Timothy? As they're laying on hands for people who are going to be installed into this leadership role, this shepherding role, do not be hasty. Right? So if, if, if cheap is non-negotiable and good is non-negotiable, then the only way to go Paul tells Timothy is slow. Don't be hasty on the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others, keeping yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. And so we get to celebrate that God has done something here, and it's taken time, and I'm so grateful for the patience that each of you has shown. But notice, as he tells us how this is going to happen, two different things in the first verse. One, the saying is trustworthy. Now, let me just give a, a, a brief exhortation. It says the saying is trustworthy. Uh, the idea here is that amongst the churches who would have been reading this, it would have been something they've known. Now, now some of you may be new to Connection Church. You might not be able to answer this, but think about um, what are the things that people who are part of Connection Church say a lot, right? What are the things that if, if you hang around in a gospel community or serving on a Sunday morning or you sit and listen to someone sing and speak from the stage, what are the things that are trustworthy sayings in the life of our church? Now, my prayer is that it's something to the effect of how amazing Jesus is, right? Otherwise, we stink. Forget this. Let's start over, right? But there are other sayings that, that evidently Paul is saying that are held in high regard in the local church. And this is my exhortation that this might be the case. That we would say, if someone aspires to be a pastor, that's a good thing. Now, that's a big deal because this can be a massive countercultural gospel for, for the world to hear. Faith in institutions right now is at an all-time low. In fact, the fact that I'm standing up here and saying I'm a pastor of a local church, I know for many of you already is a source of great skepticism and cynicism. And I want to tell you, I don't blame you. And I'll get to why that is. But think about what kind of culture it would be. I mean, because after all, if someone said to you like, if someone, if, if in Kids Connection, one of the little boys or little girls was like, 
I want to be a CEO of a corporation. The majority of you in the room would probably go like, whoa, I don't know. I don't know about that, right? You immediately be like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. But think about, think about what it would look like to be a church that is cultivating the vitality, in this case, of people who want to lead and serve. And so friends, as you, I mean, think about this, like think about what it would look like to raise the bar and say, we want little boys to pray about and dream about being pastors. Knowing that that's not for everyone, but we want to pray for these things and ask God for these things. That we wouldn't discourage it, but we would see the kind of shepherd leadership that Jesus offers to us modeled in people around us. And we would run to it. Now, he gives us two parts here, and I want to encourage, uh, at least as we think about encouraging men to serve in this role, uh, I want to give you two parts of of this thing that are important. One, it says, if he aspires to, anyone aspires to the office, desires a noble task. There's two parts here. There's a desire for, or excuse me, aspiration for the office, a role, the title, right? And then on the other hand, there's a, a deep desire to the work. And those are incredibly important. And here's what I would encourage Uh, especially some of you men in the room, because we don't want to do this one time. This is something we want to see. Again, we want to see see this happen. We want to see churches well-led as we desire to plant churches and multiply what God's doing in the life of our church. This is going to be a part of it. Uh, Just marveling at what God does is going to be a key ingredient. And in that respect, here's what I would tell you, that um, many times I've had people, I've had, I'm going to speak to all the men in the room for just a moment here, and I hope women, you would understand why I would say this after I say it. I cannot count the number of people who have come to attend Connection Church and in some way, shape, or form wanted the title and the role and the prominence of an office and yet not desired the work. Think of it this way in the the local church. Picture disciple-making, which is the context of the local church, raising up people to love and serve Jesus and multiply versus decision-making. In fact, there was a young man uh, several years ago like, you know, where do you see, I ask this question a lot, where do you see yourself in the life of church in the next 10 years? And most, frankly, young men are like, I can't sit still for 10 years. And it's like, okay, good luck. Um, if you want to sit still for 10 years, let me, let me give you something to aspire to. And I remember when a young man was like, I want to, I see myself in the next 10 years being an elder of our church. That's cool. That's awesome. I'm, I'm loving that. What makes you want to do that? Tell me what, why you want to do that. And this young man, I, I think, Uh, would say what most people uh, would think out loud. He said, I want to make decisions for Connection Church. I was like, all right, okay. Are you like, I mean, are you like an expert or something? Is there something like, and and I don't mind telling you that I have had that conversation more times than I can count, and the majority of those people no longer attend Connection Church. And so I don't mind speaking to the men in this room Join me in desiring the work. Tell your friends about Jesus. Care for people in crisis. Love the people who need to be loved. Welcome the outsider. Do all the things that model what Christ has done for us. And here's what I can encourage you. It will be an amazing thing because the people around you, shaped by the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, will smell it. But also remember, if it's going to be good, and it's going to be cheap, and it's going to be slow. <laughs> so, I want to share with you 
uh, what I think is maybe uh, an application of this text as you think through this list and the character qualifications of this list and then a mystery that evidently fuels the qualifications of this list. I'm going to give you six. Many of them I'm repeating from the time when I myself was ordained as a pastor. And my mentor pastor spoke uh, to me in what's called delivering a charge. And so I want to deliver a charge uh, to these three men that I'll introduce you in just a moment to Joe and to Nathan and to Jazz. And I, I want to deliver a charge to them, but also to you. Think of this as a, a family gathering where we get to invite this kind of grace. And I, I want to, to share with you, if, if you use the language, if you see the language that Paul uses here of household so prominently, uh, I, I want to draw your attention back to John chapter 2, where when Jesus came and cleanses the temple, the, the disciples remember in the Psalms that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so for them, we believe that Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Think of it as he is the senior pastor of the local church. Everyone who serves in a role of shepherding the church is an under shepherd. We're just simply taking our cues from him. There's only one person in the local church that gets everything he wants, and it's not me. His name's Jesus. And the rest of us join together in seeing him glorified in just that. And you see that the zeal for his house, that language of household, consumes Jesus. And so I'll use that language as a model for what it means for the local church, for you three men and for us to aspire to this together, that we would see zeal in this way. And if you want to know what that zeal looks like, 1 Timothy 3 gives us a list. First, a shepherd is zealous for the members of the church. A shepherd is zealous for the members of the church. A shepherd sees that what has been given to him is not his own. And Jesus gives warning about this. Beware, beware of someone who, who presumes to take the place of the owner. Instead, respect and love the people who see you as simply their stewards. That's simply, we're, we're engaged in a mystery that God has trans, like God is like, God has brought our stories together here and we're stewarding it. He's the one who's doing it. We're just stewarding it. And a shepherd will be zealous for the members of the church, for their, the part that they play, for the gifting that they have. A shepherd is also zealous for the meetings of the church. The book of Hebrews goes along to say that, that, they, that the members of the local church should be encouraging one another, building one another up, and not forsaking the gathering together. There's a presence, a presence, a pastoral presence that Jesus himself exemplified. And a shepherd is zealous to be present with, to see, right, to be present with the people he loves and cares for. A shepherd is zealous for the message of the church. And you can see this in that list of qualifications. You, you see that able to teach, right? You, you see this idea that there's something that the church proclaims. There's something that the church is embodying. And people who love and care for the church will be zealous for that message. That Christ has come to die for the ungodly. That Christ has come to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. That, that the brokenness that is in the world will not get the last word. And that Christ has come to reconcile us to our creator. And he has taken the punishment that you and I deserve and victoriously resurrected so that we would know the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Friends, protect that message. It will be tempting to say other things. I don't know if, I mean, you saw the news it's not new. It will be tempting to talk about other things than Jesus. Those things of this earth will seem louder and more prominent. But friends, our souls, our souls don't need cotton candy for today. Our souls need that which will satisfy us forever. 
A shepherd is zealous for that message. A shepherd is zealous for the mission of the church. That we've been given good news that it's too good to keep a secret. Did you hear that qualification of, of a person who would serve as a pastor? Someone who is thought well of by outsiders, right? The idea that there are people who have not heard the hope of Jesus and people who shepherd and love Christ's church have a zeal for them. Because after all, as a shepherd of this church, more than anything I can do for you is just to be a sheep. I, I'm, uh, one theologian puts it this way. I'm just like a, I'm like a rat that stumbled upon someone who left bread somewhere, and I'm just inviting all the rats to join me. Like, you won't believe what I've found. Completely free. It's laid out for us. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 6, the picture of lepers, people cast off by society who came upon a great mystery that God had destroyed the army. And then, and then they start to celebrate and they start to, to, to feast with all of the, the uh, as it's kind of pillaged from an army that's been defeated by someone other than themselves. And one of the lepers who realizes what a, a, what a, a wonderful surprise they've come on, he says, we're not doing right by keeping this a secret. Today is a day of good news. We're doing wrong by keeping secret, and judgment will overtake us if we keep this a secret. And so they go tell everyone, friend, so too with us. I don't know why he chose to save and redeem me. I can't imagine what he was thinking, but friend, a shepherd is zealous for the mission. But that's exactly what Christ does. He welcomes the outsider with the cost of his own life. A shepherd is zealous for the menace to the church. Did, did you hear the language that that might befall the person who is either becomes a leader too quickly or that doesn't have a reputation that is good. It says that he will ultimately what? Become ensnared by the devil. And this may seem archaic and crazy for many of you, and I don't blame you. But those of us who have had our eyes open to the detrimental and devastating effects of sin know that there's an enemy behind it. And a shepherd cares about the menace to the church. But lastly and mostly, and you see this in the mystery of Jesus, vindicated in the spirit in that last passage, a shepherd is zealous for the master of the church. A shepherd is zealous for the one who can do for others what he cannot. So, I want to invite you now into an illustration. Invite you into an illustration of this zealous shepherd. I want to invite you to be introduced to Harrison. Harrison was our baby. Uh, like many of you who have pets, we had too much money and too much time, and instead of just burning it, we decided to get a pet. Yeah, yeah. And this became our baby. I, I could tell stories about this, but, but I want you to notice, and this is true of all of the other animals in what the AKC calls the herding group, but she, uh, Harrison is a German shepherd. And I want to contend to you this that Harrison was a better pastor. Remember I told you that word shepherd and pastor is identical. Shepherd, or excuse me, Harrison was a better pastor by birth and breeding than I will ever be by training or equipping. He was born and bred better at this than any of us will ever be. And I want you to see some things about him. Number one, his ears. Huge ears. Huge ears. Ears that can rotate and hear things behind him. Huge ears. When he was a puppy, his ears was, I mean, he looked, like, he looked like a deer. His ears were so big. Reminded me in the seventh grade, right? Like, got a little ahead of him. And so, friend, see the beauty here. 
Jazz, Joe, Nathan, a good shepherd has big ears. And one of the most important things you can offer is your ability to listen to the master. To listen to people. To listen for threats. To listen for opportunities to learn and grow. Listen. Listen to the voice of our good shepherd. Not just his ears, but now look at his, this is, I've shown you, this is a puppy picture, his stance. This is common of the breed and other shepherds. He just kind of has this like athletic stance, like in a given moment, he could just like break for something. Notice, by, by birth and breeding, he's a, a good shepherd. He is attentive and ready and agile. Agile when he hears from the master, agile when he hears from those he loves, the sheep who are in need. Agile and ready to move at a moment's notice. But not only that, he's a shepherd, and so he has herding instincts. Now, this is the best picture I think I could show you. He is herding. It doesn't look like it, uh, but he is herding both our daughter and, if you'll notice, his tennis ball. Now, we, this, a shepherd never goes into the other room to sleep. He would always sit in the corner. If he was here right now, he would be sitting somewhere watching all of us. He would assume that his job is to protect and care for everyone here, and he would have all of us here, including his tennis ball, because that's also in his herd, right? And so notice what a beautiful picture that a shepherd cares for those entrusted to him. And he's better, I promise you, by birth and breeding than I'll ever be at this. One of the things you don't see in some of these pictures is his teeth. His very sharp teeth. And those teeth are meant to be a gift to the flock to protect from the enemy, to protect from a threat. And so here's, here's kind of the, the mystery of this, I, I guess I would share with you, is, is that he has those teeth and he has the ability to harm, but he does not use them to harm his sheep. Because after all, a shepherd who eats his sheep is a wolf. And there's this balance between ferocity and sharpness of teeth and cuddliness. Yeah. And what a, if there's not, a, there's not a better picture of like the supernatural power of Jesus to be ferocious against death, to be ruthless against sin, and yet warm and cuddly to sinners, right? And so, shepherd, look to God for the grace needed to be ferocious against the enemy and cuddly to the people you love. And so just for a moment, would you do me a favor and look through some of these pictures and see something, see a mystery of what we're inviting these men to do and what we see as we look through them to find Christ. Look through these pictures and see the shepherd's zeal for the members. You see it? Look through these pictures and see the shepherd's zeal for the meetings. Not going to miss. Not going to miss a single thing. See the shepherd's zeal for the meeting and coming together of his people. Look through these pictures and see the shepherd's zeal for the message. Isn't this what we declare? The good news that God has protected us from our own sin and delivered us. He is on watch when we were not. Look through these pictures and see the mission of the church. Now, this is not going to be harder for you to understand, but it was my great desire that I would have a dog that would catch Frisbees, right? 
Now, this, this is where the analogy starts to fall apart because my mission as the master of Harrison was to run and catch Frisbees. But, but you get the idea. See his zeal for pleasing his master and being on the mission of going to get things that were running away, right? Look through this picture and see the zeal of a shepherd for the menace to the church. Not to be fair, I believe this picture was taken uh, because Harrison could hear the UPS man from a mile away. (laughs) And what probably happened after this is he's growling, puts on a big mouthful of teeth show to the UPS man, and the baby laying here wakes up, and then the mom comes in and yells at everybody. (laughs) So the analogy falls apart, but you see it? You see his teeth? You see the shepherd's zeal? For the menace to his people? And lastly, look through this picture and see the shepherd's zeal for his master. You see it? I, hey, I'm, I'm about to cry about a dog. This is so silly. What? Anyway. So friends, can you look through it? Can you see? Can you see what God has done for us in Christ and the good shepherd and invited us to experience So Jazz, Joe, Nathan, look through these pictures and see the good news of our shepherd. Because after all, no one, no one at all, there was no one who had more zeal for the members of the church than Jesus. Christ himself gave his own life to redeem them. There was no one who had more zeal for the meetings of the church. Christ himself has promised that where two or three would gather together, he would be here. He'd be present with us. And he wouldn't leave us or forsake us even to the end of the age. No one was more zealous for the message of the church. Christ alone proclaimed this coming kingdom, declared to the people who were gathered around that his work is finished. And now he intercedes for us. No one was more zealous for the mission of the church. Christ himself welcomed the outsider. Christ himself took the place of the outsider so that we would no longer be outsiders. No one was more zealous for the menace to the church. You see, Jesus himself, John tells us, came to destroy the work of the devil. And Jesus came to crush the head of that ancient enemy. No one is more zealous for the master. Christ himself took the form of a servant, lowering himself, humbling himself even to death, death on a cross, so that now his name is the most exalted of names. Friends, Harrison is a better uh, pastor uh, by birth and breeding than I will ever be, or that any of us will ever be, I suspect. But I want to invite you to see the mystery. Did you hear the mystery that he says about this? The mystery is the gospel The mystery of godliness, the mystery that God would invite you and I to be this in some way is exactly what God does, that God takes something that was one thing and makes us into another. And he was manifested in the flesh. Christ was vindicated on the third day, raised, seen by angels, and now he's proclaimed in the world, believed on by those who find hope in him. And now he is in glory advocating for us. So, uh, Jazz, Joe, Nathan, I want to invite you up to the stage. Uh, We're going to exchange some affirmations and commitments before these people. In light of what we've just heard, today we, uh, with great joy, get to receive Joe Obermuller, Nathan Skop, and Jazz Terzik as elders or pastors of Connection Church. And so I want to invite you 
all with me to, to respond. You guys might have to turn around to help read this with us, but if you will respond with me in the places where the congregation is highlighted to do so. There is but one good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For rod The Lord Jesus, who so loves his bride that he gave himself up for her and still now washes her with the water of his grace, as the head of the church, her chief shepherd, gives to her under shepherds, pastors, to care for the sheep, even as they are sheep themselves. So, Nathan, Joe, Jazz, I want to invite you in light of this calling that our congregation has invited you to accept. I want to ask you some questions about first some affirmations that I want you to make and some commitments that I want you to make. And so as, I, as we install these men as elders in our church, uh, I, want to, I want you to know these pastors are, are commended to our service by the members of our church. And so we get to simply celebrate what God is doing. So, this is both a solemn joy, but also a joyful celebration of, a solemn moment, but also a joyful celebration of what God has done. So, I'm going to invite you to answer some of these questions. First, with, if you agree to say together, we do. Do you affirm the gracious lordship of Christ as the only hope for your life and for the life of this church? Do you profess faith in the good news that we find salvation in Christ alone, through grace alone, and through faith alone? Do you affirm the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures as God's word to us, the sole guide for faith and practice for your life and for the life of this church? Now, I want to invite you to also commit to us so you can respond to each of these questions with the words we will. Joe, Nathan, Jazz, will you teach, proclaim, remind us whether in groups or one-on-one, in sermons and in prayers and in counsel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you shepherd us, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineeringly, but gentle, being examples to the flock in a manner consistent with the scriptures and the membership covenant of Connection Church? Will you pray for us, interceding on our behalf, that we might comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not to you, the congregation. Same thing, I want to ask you some affirmations to make and commitments to make as well. Church, do you affirm that Christ has paid the penalty for your sins on the cross, was on the third day raised to victory, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is now interceding for his church until he returns to raise us up with him? Now you respond to these commitments with we will. Church, will you be subject to Christ as the chief shepherd of your souls? 
the good shepherd who lays down his life for all who would repent of their sins and believe in him. Will you also be subject to those under shepherds as they point us to the chief shepherd, clothing yourselves in humility, even to one another, obeying your leaders, letting them serve you with joy and not with groaning, since this would be of no advantage to you. Will you receive their shepherding and care by praying for them, encouraging them, and reminding them of the good news of Christ's work as often as you are able? Then, it's my pleasure to get to install these men as elders of Connection Church. So church, would you receive your pastors? So we're going to pray together. Uh, I'm going to first pray for these men. I want to invite you to, uh, to pray for these men as well. And then we're going to get a kind of a word uh, that we, we got an encouragement, a video we're going to share together. And then I'm going to, we're going to set out some chairs, invite uh, their wives as well as uh, some of GC leaders and other people, if you know them, to come and pray over them. Uh, this has been a process that's simply bathed in prayer. We've asked God for it. And it's a gift. And so we're going to celebrate it through prayer. So I'm going to first pray for each one of these men, uh, laying hands on them, hopefully as a sign of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation of this church that they might serve and shepherd us well. And then, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll watch a video together. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the good shepherd. You laid down your life for these sheep. And so I pray that you would bless these men as is fitting for them. And so... I thank you for Nathan Scott, and in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we affirm, ordain, and install him as an under-shepherd of your church. Give him gentleness, give him wisdom and discernment, and give him the ability to reflect the Father's good heart for his children in Jesus. We thank you for the blessing of Nathan and his family and what he has meant to us. We pray that you would sustain him and protect him. God, I thank you for Joe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we lay hands on him as well. He has desired and aspired a noble task. Would you now anoint, ordain, and install him as an under-shepherd in this church? Give him courage. Give him conviction. Give him all the graces that he needs to serve and to love you and this church. Thank you again for the blessing that he has been to us already. Sustain him, protect him, hold him fast. God, I thank you for Jazz Terzik. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we anoint and ordain and install him to the office of under-shepherd. He desires a noble task, Lord. Now grant him a supernatural grace. Give him the gift of maturity and insight and wisdom and discernment that he would lead and serve us well. Thank you for the blessing that he's been to us and the way that he has cared for us. I pray that you would also sustain him. Hold him fast and remind him that you will never, ever let him go. We thank you for these men. We thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have done what we could not. Thank you for the gift that they are to us, that the Holy Spirit has done something in them to make them something before us that we could not make our, on our own. You have obtained this body with your own blood. Now grant these men wisdom to care for and shepherd the deposit of faith that you've entrusted to each of us. Help them to realize first and foremost that they themselves are also sheep that they are also in need of the care of the good shepherd. Help them care for us and point us to him in every way they can. Help us now to be humble. Help us to receive their care. 
Help us to see the ways that you have gifted them. Not perfectly, of course, Lord. That's, that's, that's reserved for you alone. But help us to encourage them, to build them up, to pray for them. Help us to love their families and help us to, uh, help us to spur them on. Help us to be there also to invite them as sheep to experience the care of the good shepherd. Lord, we thank you for all these good gifts you give us in Jesus' name. Amen.